Well, we've had uh, rail strikes all last week. Inflation is running at 9.1%. And this Sunday is our Thanksgiving and gift day. And so we're thinking about money and giving. And I wonder how that makes you feel. Are you excited to hear a sermon about money? Or are you nervous? And when you think of all that you own and what you currently give, how do you feel? Like grateful or guilty? Generous or stingy? Or is it kind of somewhere in between? So let's now pray, asking God to teach us from his word and to show us how we should think about money and what we give. Lord, uh, by your Holy Spirit, please give us soft, humble, teachable hearts and speak to us and reveal more of your will to us because we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The end of Mark chapter 11 and chapter 12 record the final days of Jesus' public ministry. It is the week before Jesus is crucified, and during this time, Jesus has been preaching and teaching daily in the temple courts. And what we have in chapter 12 is a selection by Mark of the the highlights of what happened during that last week. And it is striking how Mark finishes the chapter with Jesus' criticism of the teachers of the law and the incident of the widow's offering. Now, there are three lessons uh, to draw from this incident about Christian giving. And the first is this. Generous giving is a necessary expression of our Christian discipleship. One of the themes of this whole chapter is the nature and extent of discipleship. What should we give to God? So the chapter begins with Jesus telling the parable about some tenants in a vineyard and they refuse to give the fruit of the vineyard to the owner. And then comes that trick question about tax. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus takes a a coin which has Caesar's inscription on it and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And what is God's is spelt out in verses uh, 29 and 30. Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is, and he gives uh, this reply. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the, the chapter ends with the widow who does just that. She loves with all that she has to live on. So this widow's giving is an apt expression of her radical Christian discipleship. Now, Christian discipleship is uh, about a lot more than what we give and how we give. You you can write all the checks in the world, but the, the writing of the checks will not make you a disciple. Nevertheless, the way we use our money is a necessary expression of our discipleship. Uh, We can't compartmentalize our obedience to God. We can't restrict it to the the religious bits of our life, like church going or Bible reading, praying and so on. There's an old saying that the, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. And there may or may not be some truth in it, but the wallet or purse does need to be converted. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength does include our financial arrangements. 
Nearly every Sunday here at All Souls, we rightly declare together, all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own do we give you. My money, my house, my car are not mine. The God's money, God's house, God's car, which he has entrusted to me, not only for my benefit, but for the benefit of others and ultimately for his glory. Now, let's be clear, just because this woman gave all that she had to live on to the temple treasury doesn't mean that members of All Souls need to hand over the assets to the All Souls treasurer or some other charity and turn up next Sunday penniless and destitute. But our example, which Jesus commends, is a challenge to so much of the, the way we naturally think about money and possessions. And notice how this widow is placed in stark contrast to the teachers of the law in verse 38. Let me read those verses again. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now here is a contrast between false religion and true religion. The false religion of the teachers of the law longs for honour and recognition. It's about taking and looking good. The true religion of the widow involves, in an unshowy manner, giving of our all to God. I have to admit that I actually always find it hard to read those uh, verses 38 and 39 without thinking of the Church of England. Not only are there the flowing robes, but there are also the greetings, the reverend, venerable, right reverend. Uh, we get the best seats in churches and places of honour at civic functions. Some even live in palaces. But it isn't just Anglicans. It actually is a danger for every church and organisation. From our studies in the last few weeks in 1 Samuel, we have been reflecting on how leaders of God's people have often been motivated by greed and self-interest. There have tragically been recent examples of evangelical leaders who have used their positions of power to, in the words of our passage, devour widows' houses. They've exploited the vulnerable to their own financial advantage. We all need to be alive to the danger. We need to pray and learn how to respect those who are over us in the Lord in a way that still encourages them to be self-giving rather than self-seeking. Now, if we want to see what true discipleship looks like, we're to look not to the teachers of the law, but to a possible victim of theirs, <laughs> this poor widow. She is the one who gave God his due. But not only is the woman put in contrast to the teachers of the law, she's also placed in contrast to the rich people of verse 41. And they threw in substantial amounts. And they're certainly not criticised for doing that. It's just that this woman gave all that she had to live on. They may have expressed their gratitude... But she expressed her total dependence on God. And it has to be said, actually, it's so much harder to give as the widow gave 
when we've got lots of possessions and assets and we're rich, isn't it? Riches of any kind and faithful Christian discipleship are not incompatible, but they are uneasy companions. Actually, it's one of the reasons why Thanksgiving and gift days like this are so good for us, because they force us to think Christianly about our wealth and where it has come from. They force us to examine our hearts to see not just whether we've got money and wealth, but whether money and wealth have got hold of us. The Lord Jesus Christ holds this widow up to us. Here is one who expressed true discipleship. This story is here to help us see what Christian discipleship looks like. The second lesson to learn from this passage is this. Generous giving isn't determined by the size of the gift. And we see this spelled out for us very clearly in verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, in straight financial accounting terms, what Jesus is is saying is plainly not the case. (laughs) The gospel writer has already made that point. The rich threw in large amounts. We're not told their exact monetary value, but they would be massively higher than the widow's two very small copper coins. But when it comes to working out the value of what we give, we're not to think like accountants, but like Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth. This is the true perspective to have. In God's eyes, proportionally, she gave more than all the others. See, that is how God views giving. This widow is singled out by Jesus, not because of how much she gave, but because of actually how much she had left. (laughs) Our operating costs as a church are considerable. Uh, They're around three and a half million a year, of which a significant proportion, over 600,000, goes to support other Christian work around the world. As uh, we heard earlier from our church warden, Rob Turner, the complete refurbishment of the outside of this uh, church building at All Souls is going to cost us over two million pounds. Those are significant amounts of money. And although I I don't know the details, I suspect that to fund our running costs and to pay for the building project, some pretty large gifts or pledges have been made and actually need to be made. Now, nobody knows who gives what, except the treasurers. But here is an important lesson for our treasurers. Don't be over-impressed by large gifts. The size of the figures and the numbers of noughts tell you very little about how much has been given. The New Testament consistently teaches us to give proportionally. And the size of this woman's gift is not measured by the end of verse 42, two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. No, it is measured at the end of verse 44, all that she had to live on. You see, if we take this incident seriously, 
then we will not be put off by the extra noughts that some might be able to give. Many people threw in large amounts, but she only gave her two very small copper coins. I mean, her copper coins would have barely paid for a roll of loo paper. But she is the one whom the Lord Jesus commends for her generosity. If we think proportionally, when we're thinking about our giving, it both overcomes the inferiority of those who have very modest means, and it pricks the complacency of those who have considerable means. The third lesson we learn from this incident is that generous giving is seen by God and leads to blessing. As the Apostle Paul records Jesus saying, it really is more blessed to give than receive. And we see this again in, in the contrast between the teachers of the law and the widow. So Jesus says in verse 40 that the teachers of the law who believe in God but exploit the vulnerable and are interested in what they can get will be judged by God and punished most severely. But in contrast, Jesus points out and commends this woman for her precious and generous gift. The teachers of the law are condemned, but she is commended. And as one who is commended by Jesus, she knows and experiences God's blessing. See, the New Testament insists that when I come to give, I'm to think in those terms. I'm to think in terms of blessing. I'm to think in terms of investment, of sowing. Over the next two Sundays, we're going to be continuing to think about this subject of money and giving. And we'll be considering the Apostle Paul's instruction to the Christians in Corinth about giving. And let me give you a sneak preview about one of the things he says. So this is taken from 2 Corinthians 9.6, where he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. See, Paul is writing to teach the Corinthians the principles of Christian giving. And this is one which he spells out most clearly. Giving is sowing, and it goes completely against the world's way of thinking. If you're an accountant, I don't know this, but I suspect your training will insist that giving isn't saying it's something which leads your accountant and it's gone for good. But God's word assures you that it is saying. See, my sinful nature will stop me from saying that giving is saying, but God's word challenges my sinful nature and calls on me to change my thinking. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We tend to ask, what can I afford to give? Meaning, what can I afford to give away and lose and never see again? And the New Testament encourages me to ask, what do I want to say? And I suspect that every time we review our giving and do the sums, we shall have to raise the shield of faith and wield the sword of the Spirit and remind ourselves that God has declared that giving is sowing. What was it that enabled this woman to put all that she had to live on 
in the temple treasury. We're not explicitly told, but she must have believed that God would provide for her. And in doing that, she was wise. She was not being foolish. Let me at this point say a little bit about tithing. Tithing, it basically is the the principle of giving a proportion of our income to the Lord's work. Uh, Under the uh, Old Covenant, uh, God's people were expected to tithe 10% of all that they had. Now, in the New Testament, no figure is ever mentioned. We're we're, We're free, but we're encouraged to give generously and cheerfully. And if you're not yet doing that, can I encourage you to start as a matter of urgency and don't put it off? The other day, I I came across this testimony of of a Christian about tithing, and I found it very helpful. This is what this person said. When a person starts tithing, they'll be surprised at seven things. First, at their unspeakable joy and satisfaction. Second, at their spiritual development and growth. Third, at their growing desire to give yet more. Fourth, at their increased sympathy for those in need. Five, at their growing sense of responsibility concerning the remaining nine-tenths. Six, how very far the remaining nine-tenths will go. And finally, seven, at their stupidity for not having started to do it sooner. Now, those of us who do tithe, who got in the habit of giving regularly and proportionally of our wealth, will have known something of that when we first started. But we do need to be careful because after a while, the tithe can degenerate and simply become another expense. And we forget the joy of generous giving. God doesn't want us to be a Scrooge. He wants us to be a Christian. It's not that Scrooges don't give. It's just that they never give generously and cheerfully. They think of reasons why they shouldn't give rather than rejoicing in the privilege of being able to give what they can. And I'm also very struck by the fact that this widow gave her money to the temple treasury. Although there was plenty to criticize in the temple scene at that time. She didn't use that as an excuse not to give to the Lord's work. So there we have it. Three lessons about Christian giving illustrated by this widow at the, at the temple. The first lesson, what we give is a necessary expression of our discipleship. How we use the money God has entrusted to us will reveal to us something about our trust in God. Second, the value of what we give is not determined by the size of our gift. So don't be discouraged if you only have a little to give. God knows your situation. And although we are impressed by gifts of of many thousands of pounds, God isn't always. Third, generous giving is seen by God and leads to blessing. Giving is sowing. And God delights in those who give cheerfully and generously. 
See, as a church, we will always face financial challenges. And as we've heard, we've got a big one at the moment. We need to raise an additional £900,000 to meet the cost for the building work. And our regular giving will need to increase if we're going to maintain current uh, uh, staff levels and grow. But what matters most over the next few months is not whether we can pay the bills, but what Jesus thinks of us. I mentioned earlier that one of the, the, the three themes, that, so what's right, one of the themes of Mark's chapter 12 is the theme of discipleship. Another theme is that of Jesus the judge. And here at the end of the chapter, we see Jesus the judge making judgments. So he condemns the teachers of the law for their greed and he commends the widow for her trust and generosity. You see, Jesus sees what no one else sees. Jesus sees the quality of our discipleship. Jesus sees when we are trusting in him in this area of our financial giving. Jesus knows when as a congregation or as individuals, we truly reflect the God who has called us to himself. The God who, when he gave, held nothing back, but gave to us his all. The God who gave to us his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, even to die on a cross for us. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God and Father, we do uh, thank you for the, the, the challenging example of this widow who Jesus uh, drew to his uh, disciples' attention. And we thank you that you've been drawing it to our attention uh, this morning. Please help us to really take away those, uh, those lessons you've been showing us from your word. Write them deep in our hearts, we pray. And help us as individuals, as a church family, to be those who acknowledge that all that we have comes from you and to be cheerful, generous givers. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.